Good morning. It's a great privilege to be with you all this morning. My name is Ben. Uh, my name is Ben Gandy. I am a third-year seminarian at uh, Calvin Seminary, which means that I have finished. I've completed 18 years of school, and I have two more to go, which is a number I remind myself every every day. I am I am married to my lovely wife, uh, Lindsay, um, and she is. Um, she's a neonatal nurse at Helen DeVos. You do things, Linz, that are incredible, and I'm so proud of you. At this point, we only have two dogs. Two is a good number for dogs. Um, and um, I, I, I really do, when we, when we think of coming to Ivanrest, we are so blessed by the love that you show uh, Lindsay and I. So thank you. Thank you. Our passage this morning comes from Romans chapter 12. It's found on page 920 in the pew bibles in front of you if you would open god's word and follow along as i read please so paul is just uh he's just he's written this letter and now he's getting to the application part of this letter and so we'll start reading romans 12 um, at verse 9 love must be sincere hate what is evil Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and ask God to bless this time we have together. You pray with me now, please. Uh, Father God, loving Heavenly Father, we bow before you um, knowing that man does not live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that comes from this book, from, from the Bible, Lord. So we ask this morning that you, would, that you would speak to us through this. Remind us of the grace and mercy which you have shown us. And now, um, as, we, as we think about it, show us how we may apply these things to our life. Thank you, Father God. Be with us now. In your name, amen. Amen. One Sunday, a kindergarten Sunday school teacher um, was, was, was uh, observing her classroom while they were drawing, classroom of children while they were drawing. And occasionally she would, she would walk around and look at um, the kids' artwork, and then she walked around and saw this little girl, um, and, and she, she, she asked this girl, what, what are you drawing? And the girl, working furiously away at drawing something, stopped, and she looked up at her Sunday school teacher and said, I'm drawing God. And then a the Sunday school teacher thought, and she said, well, but nobody knows what God looks like. And then the little girl stops. Well, they will in a minute, won't they? <laughs> right? And, and uh, of course her drawing did not reveal God. But I, I would have enjoyed seeing what she came up with. Or, or if the teacher had said, draw me love. That again would be just such an interesting picture of what, what, what the girl might draw, what, what we picture as love. But in our passage this morning, Paul actually draws a very concrete picture of what Christian love looked like, genuine Christian love. And he shows us five dimensions of this genuine 
Christian love. And I want to look at that today. But before we dive into the text, I, 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 must I must say this. So Paul's writing this letter to the church, the church in Rome, and he's just finished explaining the gospel to them. Right? He says, we are sinful people deserving of death and destruction, but Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, has done all that is needed to save us from our sin. Right? Therefore, these dimensions of love, these things, we do not do them to earn Jesus' love. These dimensions are our proper response to it. Right? Christ, by his spirit, we do these things because Christ, by his spirit, is renewing us. Renew, I, that's a great renewing us to be like himself so that in everything we do, we may show that we are thankful to God for what he has done for us. So just remember as we look through these things, these aren't actions to earn grace. No, these are actions in response to grace. Wonderful. So let's look at these five dimensions, eh? These, these five action areas of Christian love. Now the first dimension that uh, uh, Paul mentions of Christian love is a moral dimension. A moral dimension. Look with me at verse, at verse 9. He says, Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, Christian love uh, must be based on God's good standard. And so we need to unpack that a little bit. Uh, the word, the word in, in, in the passage that Paul uses for hate is a very strong word. It's, it, it's kind of like it abhors evil. It is disgusted by evil. I mean, uh, Lindsay, Lindsay and I ha have uh, these fly traps hanging outside of our, our, uh, our, our, around our garden during the summer, and, and they literally get full. They get heavy with flies. Some have, some have died in there. Others, others have laid eggs. So if you look closely, you can see little maggots crawling up the side. And, and if you, let's just say you just, if you just go out and sit outside in a lawn chair and you're just enjoying a bowl of cottage cheese... And then you look over at the fly trap, it's game over. You, you are I'm sorry if I ruined cottage cheese for anyone, but you are disgusted. You, that, that is the strength of Paul's words here. At the same time, Paul says, love clings to that which is good. And again, this clings is, 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 isn't, isn't a strong enough word. The sense really is that glue yourself to, to that which is good. Glue yourself. Like a, like a high school boyfriend and girlfriend who cannot get enough of each other. They know zero limits in terms of time spent together. Glue yourself together like that. I see some parents looking at their high schoolers right now. Right? Glue yourself. That kind of clinging to good. Now, this sounds easy enough. Right? Christians, we know good and, and evil. But the problem is that the lines between good and evil are now becoming more and more blurred. Instead of defining good and evil by how God defines these things, we often go by what feels good or what, what other people are doing, right? I say to myself, ah, well, it must be good because it feels right. Or, ah, well, it must be good because everybody else is doing it. Or, ah, well, since it's legal, it must be good. Right? But let me ask, think about this. Does the Bible say that sex outside of marriage is good? 
movies, TV shows, books, I'll say that it is a normal thing. But is that considered a true expression of love? Is it good? Here's another one. Bourbon, right? Bourbon is good. But does God say filling yourself up till your eyes are rye-colored is good? No. No, it doesn't. And I'm not going to stand here and spell out what the Bible says is good and what it isn't. Most of us here can read, can't we? But I want to say two words of warning just on this point. I met with uh, uh, someone, first I met with someone and counseled that person against doing something that was clearly against the Bible. But, but instead of acknowledging this, they, he, he, they said to me, well, what does the Bible really mean by adultery? Do, do you see what he was doing there? He was trying to redefine good and evil by, 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 his, own def, by his own learning and understanding. And if you're doing that, it's a sure sign that you're not doing something that is good. When your emotions are telling you one thing, but the Bible says another, trust the Bible. And dear youth, when your friends all say it is okay, but your conscience says no, that's the Holy Spirit leading you. Trust the Spirit's leading. That's the first thing. The second thing I'll say about this moral dimension is that it's one that won't ever stop knocking at your door. You can be 10, you can be 20, you can be 40, you can be 60, you can be 80, and we will all, you can be growing in all holiness, but we will still struggle with this good and what is good. And before you, I'm not pointing fingers, I, I will show you a one example that's particularly hard for me. Okay? Beyonce. Who, does anyone, does, does, who here knows who Beyonce is, yeah? yeah Beyonce is this... Um, female pop artist um, and she was in the Super Bowl a couple Super Bowls well she wasn't in the Super Bowl she, she was she was the ha- part of the halftime show and she's um, fan- fantastic popular artist and I, I really love Beyonce's early stuff right but is it good does that music music focus on what is pure what is right what is good what, what's true as the Bible says? No, not really. Christian love is not easy. The second, please don't write in your notes, Ben loves Beyonce. Please, that's just an illustration. The second dimension of Christian love is the social dimension. Look at verse 10. What does Paul say? Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Jesus puts it this way in John chapter 13. Love one another even as I have loved you. And now these commands, be devoted and honor one another, are pointing to the kind of love that that family members actually share for each other. Um, And uh, now think think about it first. Uh, I'm sure we could find in-laws or outlaws that we don't particularly love, but, but what, what Paul's, it, the, the love that he has in mind has this loyal aspect to it, this protecting aspect to it, this lifting up and encouraging aspect to it. And one of the wonderful images we, we have in the Bible actually comes from the Old Testament where, where Jonathan, 
right? Jonathan was Saul's, Saul's son, protects his friend David, the King David. He wasn't a king, but he protects David from Saul, from, from Saul doing something wrong, from Saul trying to kill David. The loyal kind of good aspect of to it. And, 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 and that's what we are to picture. Friends, that's the kind of devotion we are to have for one another, right? And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, in, in individualistic societies, this is hard. We, we want to be our own person. We have our own house with our own yard, with our own dogs and our own cars. But Paul says, hold on a second, right? Hold on a second. Look at what, look at what Jesus did for you. You're not related. You're not blood relatives. And yet he died for you, didn't he? Commit to that same spirit of love. And even, we could bring it down uh, even to another level, Ivan Rest. Friends, you are obviously a larger church, right? And it can be so easy to come to church on Sunday and just be anonymous and to maybe drop your kids off in, in childcare and not worry about them or don't worry about serving because you've served your time already. Or, or it can be so easy to think, I don't need to volunteer for the, for the youth group. Somebody else has got, I know, I was, I was a youth pastor. It's easy to go home and watch TV than come to church and serve. But God calls us to commit to each other. Serve each other. Love each other. Honor one another. The third dimension of Christian love is a spiritual fire. Spiritual fire. Verse 11, verse 11 Paul says this. Never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the lord uh, so you remember in john 2 jesus uh he's going up to the temple and uh, he enters in and 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 he sees just a, a, a marketplace people selling all kinds of different things animals it would be as if people were selling snow globes of the of the temple mount or or the temporary tattoos of a of a menorah or something like that and what he does, he takes a cord and makes a whip. And he clears these people out of, the, out of the temple saying, stop making my father's house into a marketplace. That, 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 is, that is zeal. That, that is spiritual fire. That is jealousy for God. In fact, the same word is even used here, right? We are to be that zealous for that and excited for God. Now, I'm not saying get the whip, right? Make a whip and turn over tables and storm stores that, that distract people from God. But what Paul is saying is this. Don't lack spiritual fervor, okay? Don't lack spiritual fervor. What kind of priority is God in your life? Where does your mind wander when it wanders? It's like that hymn. Oh, I, my mind is prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. It is prone to leave the God I love. And it is a huge challenge. A friend of mine called me out and said, Ben, does your zeal for God drive you to your knees in the morning? Does your heart sing for joy when you are reminded of the gospel or 
Is that just old news? You've moved past that. That's old Christian news, right? Does his affection flow out of you onto others? That, that friends, is spiritual fervor, right? I mean, do, do you long to see grace and justice come out during the presidential election? Please, God, show your grace and mercy and justice even in that. I mean, do we long to read our Bible? I, it's, it's okay if we don't want to pray every moment. That's okay. But what I'm saying is, are we growing? Do you, wanna, do you go and, and pray more than you did last year? Are you, are you growing in holiness, in your spiritual fire in your bones? And I, I'm, I mean not to offend you, Ivan Rust. I do love you. I don't nearly know any of you, hardly. But I love you. And I'm not trying to offend you or turn it, this into a legalistic sermon. But I must, I must be blunt. Ask yourself right now, would someone describe me as on fire for God? Or maybe that's an outdated question. Would someone describe you as a committed Christian? And what would their evidence be? How would they know? How would they know? This Christian love, we probably thought, oh, I know, he, he, I know what he, Ben's going to say. I, we've had this sorted out. No. At least for me, this was, this was challenging. You see, Christian love is hard. It's really hard. The fourth dimension of Christian love is a personal faith. A personal faith. Look with me at verse 12. Paul says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Now, what, what, what do you notice about that verse? Do you, do you see the situation that Paul has in mind? You see what he's doing? Verse, verse 12 assumes, yep, there is something wrong. Or if it's not wrong, it's some, something will go wrong in the very near future. Maybe it was already grim. Paul wouldn't say to them, be hopeful if things uh, weren't going to be bad or were bad. He wouldn't try and rouse their faith for, for, for God if, if everything was going to be smooth sailing. I don't hope for a bright, sunny day when I already have a bright, sunny day. So in the same way, when we have troubles, and we will as Christians, Paul says, hope and be patient and pray faithfully. We don't, we don't hope for hope's sake. We don't hope to, to make uh, ourselves feel better. Hoping for hope's sake is not the objective. The Savior is the object in which we hope, right? Christian love hopes in God, the God who holds eternity. Christian love waits patiently for the Almighty to work. Christian love faithfully reminds God of his promise. God, you said you would never leave me and never, God, you would never forsake me. And Paul knows, as well as we do, that we are to trust in the Lord. See the object? Not just trust for better, trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. Proverbs, right? Or we know, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his promise. 
or he isn't even wonderful. Here's, this is, listen, God watches over you in such a way that not a hair can fall from your head without his willing it. Not a hair can fall from your head without his willing it, right? Christian love puts their faith in that God, in those promises. And lastly, the fifth dimension, the fifth dimension is practical acts. Practical acts. Verse 13 says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Or, or James says in James 1, verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what the word says. And now, here we need to understand just a little context of the, of the uh, first century church. They didn't meet in big sanctuaries like this, right? They met in people's houses, and often they would meet, they, every time they would meet, they would, they would celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper. And, and in those days, they had these three-sided tables. Well, it was one big long table and then two, two um, shorter end tables on the side, and they would gather around the outside. They would, they, would, they would like lounge and they would eat, right? They would eat from those tables. And that, that was called a triclinium, triclinium. And, and the thing is, there wasn't enough room for everybody. Only the, the wealthy got to sit or join at the table. Not everyone could fit. So sometimes the, the less wealthy or the, the less important people um, or members of the house church would have to wait outside or, or stand, Right? And even sometimes, the wealthy people would start eating even without them. Oh, they're, they're late. They're coming from work. You know, they have to work. Right? It's against that backdrop that Paul is saying this. He's, in fact, what Paul is saying is, it's not just a Sunday thing when you meet. It is a constant way of life. We could read it like this. Be always, always sharing with the Lord's people who are in need. Constantly practice hospitality all the time. And I have rest, friends. I cannot answer this for you. I cannot. What does it mean to share with the Lord's people who are in need? We heard some of it just this morning, just in the prayer. You can think of Pastor Tony or um, the Kuipers or, or uh, I remember, there are some others. You can look there. What does it mean to share with, who among the Lord's people is in need? Or what, what is shared on a prayer chain or at the prayer meeting? Or even, can you think of someone in this sanctuary right now who might just need a phone call of encouragement? Or maybe they, they need the, the oil changed on their car. Can you, think of, can you think of someone like that? Honestly, I mean not to beat us over the head. I mean to encourage and indeed, uh, time has gone. Roasts are probably burning. Children are banging down the doors of the nursery if they haven't stormed the walls already. I just want, let me end with this. Why? Why think about love? Why think about our Christian love? I mean, we're, we know love is important. I mean, look back at what Paul says. Love genuinely, yeah, hate evil, yep, yep. Cling to good, be devoted to one another. Be on fire for God. Be patient and trust God in all the hard times. Practice hospitality. We know these things. Hey, those, are, those, are, those are basic. Why? Why do we need to focus on them? We need to because all these things are what Jesus 
did for us. I mean, he loves you genuinely. Jesus abhors those things which are evil. He devoted, he, he was absolutely devoted to you. I mean, wasn't he incredible? Look at, read, 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 read the Gospels if you have some time this afternoon or just one, just one of them. Look, wasn't he incredibly patient with Peter? Isn't he even more so with Ben Gandhi? He is, right? Christ came down from heaven. This is hospitality. He came down from heaven to welcome us into his home, to make a way for us to be with God forever. He put us first when he took our sin and dealt with it on the cross. That's why we do this. That's why we love genuinely. That's why we need to think about our Christian love. That's what Ivan Rust gets to do. And I could put it to you even shorter. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Ooh, Lord, we thank you for um, the grace that is seen in Christ Jesus, the grace that we experience in, in the wonderful um, uh, Son of God. And, and, and Lord, we ask that now, as we have been reminded of that grace, now that we might apply that Christian love to our lives, that we might not only be hearers of the word, but doers as well. Lord, take this word and plant it in our hearts that we may honor you in everything we say and do. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.